This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and D6 Conference hosted a track called Family Discipleship. How are you doing with family discipleship at your church? Well, D6 Conference has put together a free assessment to help you discern exactly how your church is doing at equipping parents to disciple their kids. This free assessment is called the Church Health Assessment, and it's just 30 questions. They've even included scoring instructions, so you can do the whole thing for free, and it's self-guided. Download this at discipleship.org d6. It's a PDF available at discipleship.org d6. That's the letter D and the numeral six. Now here's one of the track sessions from D6. I'm so glad to uh, be here with you guys this week. And um, how many, just out of curiosity, how many of y'all were in my last breakout session? Okay, you guys are, are y'all sure you want to be back again for some of this? It may, um, I may repeat a couple things here and there um, to get a point across, but I'll try to keep it fresh. Um, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm very, very humbled to be here this week. Um, I had heard about the Discipleship Conference, and uh, last year was the first time I heard about it, and I thought, man, it'd really be nice to get to make that happen. It's here local, that works for me. And then my wife, uh, you know, time happens, and then she said, well, could you come speak? And I thought, okay, that'd be cool. And I saw some of the names of the speakers, and I'm like, I think you made a mistake. Like, And we had a meeting um, the first day here, and I was very much encouraged and inspired by the heart of this conference, that they required everybody that was teaching or going to be uh, speaking or had a platform at this conference that we all be there for a meeting yesterday. And we all just shared about our passions and our, our particular groups or organizations we worked with or, or what we were going to be talking about. And we prayed for almost an hour as a group. And as somebody that does this, you know, somewhat frequently, that's very rare. And I was, I had not been that inspired before nine o'clock in the morning in quite a while before a conference even kicked off. And I just say that to encourage you that this conference has been bathed in prayer. It's not just something that's thrown together. You know, the heart of it is very much one of unity under one mission. And I love that about it. Um, I did feel like I, you know, I thought, God, what am I doing here? And, and, but I've been following him long enough to know that, um, see the principle of Scripture that says, you know, he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise in this world and doesn't get any more foolish than me. So I guess I'm, I'm right in the right spot where he's supposed to be. The title of this breakout is Building Family Ministry. Yes, they're bringing the party. I like this bunch. Come on in. I like the energy. Once again, yes. Glenn Duncan, ladies and gentlemen, you know him, you love him. Put your hands together. All right. Um, building a family ministry that strengthens Christians and welcomes unbeliever. Now, that's the million-dollar question, right? I would go as far to say not just welcomes, but embraces. You know, there's a difference in, in just welcoming somebody and embracing them with grace, mercy, and love. And that's what we're going to kind of be talking about today. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on this subject or posture myself in a position that I, I know it all or anything. The truth is, 
I have learned a lot of lessons the hard way and done a lot of dumb stuff in ministry. And I've learned as much what not to do as what to do. And um, I'm just my prayer for you is that you will be able to take at least maybe one nugget away from this breakout or this workshop to be able to take back your, to your church and maybe help you to reach those outside of the community of faith and build those that you have uh, in the walls already. Um, but before we get started, let's, let's pray. God, thank you very so much for this day. God, this is a gift that you have given us. God, let us treat it as such. God, as we um, look at a very real problem that we have in the church, uh, is for some reason those that don't believe are, 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 are not flocking to us, even though we have the ultimate truth. We've got the best answers. We've got the good stuff. But yet, for some reason, they're not coming to us. God, I think part of that is we need to go to them. God, I think we need to really rethink what you were talking about when you said you have come to do something new and you can't pour old wine in a new wineskin. And God, I just pray that, that we would be refined today. God, that you would use me to uh, and my experiences to be able to encourage. God, I pray once again that you would just use me as a vessel. God, I thank you for the gift of your spirit, that it can speak to different people in different ways. God, that it can reach our hearts right where we need uh, encouragement, right where we need a touch of your mercy. God, and I pray that we would be challenged to walk out boldly the call that you've placed on us in our ministries and not just be a place that welcomes those that don't believe, but God, we would be like Jesus and that we would embrace them we love them and, and, and walk hand in hand with them. God, I thank you so very much um, for the gift of my wife and the fact that we get to share together today. I ask that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, this is going to be a little different. Uh, it's not like the eight simple tools workshop because this is not a real simple subject matter. But, um, and, and I... For those of you in here earlier, I warned you I'm a little bit ADD, but stay with me. Um, it, I assure you there is some uh, method and meaning behind the madness. And um, I just want to share a little bit about our background. Um, and I'm going to have my wife come up and kind of walk you through our spiritual journey and how we came to know the Lord. Because I think so often we get in ministry and we just go through the motions. And some of you were saved in the second trimester and you came out singing, you know, it is well with my soul. But some of us have had a radical transformation and Jesus came in and rocked our world and gave us a life that we never dreamed possible. But after years of ministry, sometimes we forget about that. And scripture says in Psalms that restore to me the joy of my salvation. That that's what I want to uh, just Talk about just for a second. I'm going to let my wife get up and share just a bit. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm Lena Wooten. I'm Josh's wife. We've She's been not Lisa. Yeah, it says Lisa on the door. If you guys notice the name on the door, it says Lisa. I am not Lisa. I'm Lena. And uh, just thank you guys for having us here. I get the opportunity to serve in ministry with my husband. I oversee the preschool ministry at our church. Have been doing that for years. But I also get to do the marketing and work alongside D6 family. So family ministry has, has my heart. We're parents, we've got two children. For those of you who weren't in our last workshop, we have a almost 18 year old and we have a 13 year old. So 
We're right in the core, <laughs> in the mix of parenting right now, and it's going great. Um, but for you guys, uh, what put it on our hearts to do this about building a family ministry that strengthens Christians and welcomes unbelievers? Um, it was on our hearts because there was a time in our lives where my husband was not a believer. I was born a believer. I was one that was saved in the second trimester, <laughs> first trimester probably. My mother had us in Sunday school every morning, uh, every Sunday morning, Wednesday nights. She would sit by our bed in a rocking chair and she would read uh, scriptures to us, my sister and I. And so I grew up early into my childhood knowing Jesus and went to a pretty conservative religious church. Uh, the denomination was very, um, yeah, religious in the, in the 80s. And that's where we, where we were at. My mother taught Sunday school. My father was uh, someone that helped serve communion. He wasn't a deacon, but he was a volunteer. So we were there all the time as a family. And as life went on and my parents grew and I was about sixth grade, they divorced. And at the time, I don't believe that the church understood how to deal with divorce. They didn't know what to do. I don't think it was, they didn't mean to be cold or shun, but um, my mother felt like the last place she wanted to go was to a church. And as a child, I remember seeing that and thinking, wow, we've been learning about how God is love, but yet she's ashamed to go there. And my dad quit going because the only reason he was going was my mom. And so kind of watched that spiral out of control and then kind of had a, um, a sad thought about what church is. I was at a private school, so I never stopped praying, and I continued to pray through school, and we learned about Bible and stuff, and I always loved God. But the minute that I got to college and I was old enough to make my own choices, I decided, you know what, I want to break. I want to break from what I thought Christianity was, all those rules and regulations and all these people judging you. I was like, I just want to break from that. And so I did. I took a break. I um, took a two-year break, and one of those years was lived out in Los Angeles, California. So you can imagine I was running and having fun. Uh, never stopped praying, um, but lived out in L.A. for a little while and did the Hollywood scene. And I remember saying to my friend that was out there, I said, you know what? L.A. is a fun city to visit, but I do not want to raise a family here. So again, I remember those core values that I'd had as a young child. Moved home back to Nashville, Tennessee. And the very day that I moved home, um, I met this man. And he was playing in a rock and roll band. And I thought, he's cute. And so anyway, long story short, we went on to date for about three or four months, spending every day together. And then we broke up. Then I ran into him again and ended up getting pregnant. And I told him, I said, Josh, um, I'm having a child. And he said, I am the last person on earth you'd want to raise a child with. See, he had grown up without parents. His mother died when he was 14. His father died when he was nine. And so from there, he went to go live with an abusive and alcoholic uncle in just a not ideal situation. So he did not have that solid foundation. I had had that solid foundation as a young child. So the minute I heard I was pregnant, I went to a revival, and I went running to Jesus with all I had, and I said, God, it's me and you. No matter what, you've got this situation, and I began to pray, and I knew I was going to be okay. I had the peace of the Lord on me, but here's this man, and I knew he was broken. Boy child. Boy child. He wasn't a man. He was <laughs> boy child. He did not have 
Jesus. And I knew that that was missing in his life. So I would pray for him. I wasn't praying, God, bring us together and let us have a great marriage one day. No, I was like, Lord, bring him to you. Help him to come to know you, whatever that looks like. And again, God, I got you. And I'd lay in my bed at night and I'd hold my pillow and I'd pretend it was God. I would lay in his lap and I'd think, I'm okay. I had the peace of God. Well, he began going to doctor's visits with me. And he came to every doctor visit with me. And I saw him begin to become the man that God was calling him to be. And the minute that our child was born and he saw her little face, he said, there has to be something more. There has to be. So we began our church journey um, together. He said, I want to go and I want to explore the claims of Christ. I want to see what that looks like. I was so excited, and here's our little baby, and we started going to different churches, and we would go into one church, and he would say, oh, they're raising their hands. Oh, all that pastor does is talk about money. And so we would go into churches, and I would almost be nervous about it because I thought, what are they going to do that's going to turn this unbeliever off, or what are they going to do? And I just kept praying, God, bring us to the place that will show us love and mercy and love him and see past our different last names and our baby, God, we just want to know you. And I just kept praying that prayer and just being faithful with it. And sure enough, as the Lord would have it, we ended up finding a church. Um, it was a non-denomination church. And the name of the church was GodWide.com. And I thought, that's kind of strange. But it was built, it was a website, first of all. And it was made to answer questions that were keeping people from faith. And so I thought, okay, so people could come there and ask questions. And it was really seeker targeted. In fact, 70% of the church was first-time churchgoers. And I thought, well, this is amazing. I have been all over this spectrum. I'm talking Holy Spirit, you know, everything. And now I found this church. This is different for me. But this is where God brought him and said that I'm going to let him jump in and tell you how we ended up where we are. Okay. Yeah. Um. Don't try not to cry with all this going on. But um, so like she said, I was I found out we had a baby. I got a haircut in a minivan and went. I mean, I was so far over here and I ran with everything I had over here. We were in a, um, a class, a, a little premarital class with a couple. And they we, I showed up with a haircut one day and they're like, whoa, what happened to you? Like I just God changed me. And when I saw the miracle of life happen right before my eyes with my daughter, I knew that it was time. I wanted what I never had for her. You know, I didn't grow up. My church, I went when my grandparents would take me. And to be honest, I felt like the kid that didn't fit in because my parents weren't there. Everybody else, they did Bible drill like crazy. And I didn't even know what. I didn't know there were different books in there. I'm just like, find what? Oh, yeah. And finally, it's almost got to be a joke. I just flip the pages and act like I was looking real fast until somebody else that always won would raise their hand and win. And so anyway, when my daughter was born, I thought, I want more for her than I had. I want to be the dad that I never had. Everybody I look to in my life that seems to have it together, that's the common thread. And so when we were looking for churches, I'll be honest, I didn't believe I walk in and, and now raising hands doesn't freak me out at all. But as somebody that didn't believe. And next thing, you know, I'm standing with somebody, oh, la, 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 la. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. What's going on there? I'm like, that's freaking me out. Like, you know, I can get into a rock concert, but that's kind of weird. And, and so anyway, we finally ended up one morning where a friend of mine said, you ought to tr check this church out, godwide.com. I said, well, I've got questions. I mean, both my parents 
died of cancer before I was 14 years old and my life was pretty cruddy and I'll be honest, it wasn't right, but I was young and rebellious and I blamed God for it. I had a big chip on my shoulder. I said, if God is so loving, how could he allow this to happen to me? To be honest, you know, pity party. But anywho, this church, God, why I thought, I got some questions, you know, that was kind of their stick. And I thought, well, I'm going to go check it out. And um, we were having some, I would like what we call intense fellowship on the way to church. That means like we were arguing with each other about money. And um, so we walk into the church and we're going and I'm a little nervous. And I'll be honest, like she said, I was kind of looking for stuff to be wrong because I'll be honest with you, people that don't know, they're looking, they're looking for something wrong with us. If you look at, look at the news, they are always looking for the chinks or the hole in the armor to something to attack, a weak spot that they can jump on in. And I was that guy. And I walked in the church and I hear, you know what I'm talking about. And, and they were like, well, I hear money, 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 money. And I'm like, oh, wow. I was like, that's kind of cool. I was like, so we're asking the lady, was met, they met at a college. And they were like, oh, the church is right here in the auditorium. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I look, and it's a live band playing that song. And I'm a music guy. I was a, I was a music snob. I'll be honest. Like some church music, at the time, I was like, oh, it just doesn't do it for me. You know, just, no, I can't do it. And, but this band was awesome. And they were playing a song I knew. And I came in, I was like, whoa, that's, that's okay. I can, I they let me get in the water is shallow at first, you know, kind of getting in. And they did Material Girl next for Madonna. And they had some girl in a pink dress they carried all around the church. And I thought, is this really church? Like, I don't know much about church, but I'm pretty sure they're all going to hell because this does not look like <laughs> anything like a church I've ever been a part. But I like it. I just be honest. I was like, oh, it's just kind of weird having this personal struggle there. But then the pastor came out and he started to share about what Scripture says about money, how we're to deal with it, how do we steward it. You know, I'd always heard, you know, people say, well, money is the root of all evil. And I just believed it. I was broke. So it's easy to believe something like that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Power to the broke people. But what he said is like, and he said that he goes, people hear that it said that, you know, money is the root of all evil. It's not. It's the love of money, the lust of money, the greed. That is the root of what is evil. And I was like, oh, I've never heard it like that. Like, oh. And, you know, because the millennial generation, I'm not one of them. I wish I was, but I'm not. But what we do, or they do, I'm trying to include myself in there. <laughs> what they do is they don't read their Bibles. They read Christians. And it's sad. Those outside of the walls, they're not just going to, I'm curious about Christianity. Let me get a Bible and just start reading it. They're going to start looking at the lives of those who represent him. You know, and, and most of the time, once they, they get to know it, you know, what I found out is it's not Jesus they have the problem with. It's his followers. You know, it's like Elvis was, you know, great, but his followers were a little weird sometimes. And we can be in the same boat. Now, that was my church experience. And I first started to, I got voluntold to help with the kids ministry like about six months after. Uh, let me back up a little bit. I get a little excited and get ahead. I began a journey. I began seeking God in a way that I'd never sought him before. It was real this time. It wasn't just my going to the early, early service that I used. The, my, my talks with the Lord would usually occur about 2 o'clock in the morning as I knelt 
in the bathroom. Oh, Lord, please make it stop. Oh, were those prayers earnest? You better believe it. God, just please let me go to bed. I promise I'll never do it again, Lord. That was my, that was my prayer life. But after I started exploring, like really going, God, if you're there, like I, I want to know you. You say, to, if, I'll find you if I seek you with all my heart. I'm all in. I want to know. And I'm, I'm going to commit myself to study. And once he started, like, not just words on a page, but started to work in my life, he spoke to me through license plates for a long time. I just That's a whole other study for another day. But it, he made no doubt that he was real, that he loved me, that he wanted to work through me and in my life. And I was at that point a man with an experience. And as you know, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of somebody with an argument. And it was on because I, I was a changed man. I mean, the old me is dead like Saul and Paul. Dumb. The old me is dead and gone, dead and gone. Oh, anyway. But I was I was ready. I was ready to run with him with everything I had. And it's kind of awesome because I met a guy at our church whose name was... Uh, Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> he was a white guy named Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> Loved it. And um, he discipled me. You know, I found out he was a pat. He was just a guy there. And somebody said, hey, that dude over there was married to Mama Cass. And I was a musician. I was like, I want to get to know this dude, you know, and from the mamas and the papas who don't know that. Um, but so I started to talk with him and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I do music, but I'm an ordained minister. I'm a pastor. I'm like, really? I was like, will you teach me? Like he was some kind of Jedi person or something. But I just wanted to learn. I was hungry. And he said, sure, you you can come over to my house on Sunday nights. And we did. And we brought a crew like it was like a lot of people started showing up his house. It was a his own church. People started going, you know, finding out Josh is going to church because, like I said, I was a wild one. Like you're talking about no compass, nothing. And um, and and it was a thing where people began to see God really did change me. And so Lena Vollen told us that we were going to serve in kids ministry, like the, the children's pastor. Time. Oh, your wife. I heard you. Yeah, thank you. You're going to serve next week. Your wife said y'all are in class. I'm like, where is she at? Like, I'm still on this journey. I'm not ready for all that yet. You know, and he said, I just need you to hang out and crowd control. And I started there and then he helped me do help doing some skits. And then a little while later, he's like, I'm going to take, be out this one weekend. I got to I got to work somewhere else. You know, can you teach? And I thought, hey, you're real funny, man. I'm not teaching. I can't teach you. You know, who you're talking to. I'm, it's not me. And he said, you know what? The disciples only had three years to study under Jesus and they missed it all the way down the street. And that's something I said earlier. But it really spoke to me like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe God can use me. Maybe you can't do something with all this mess. And so I wrote out my, he gave me a little th- thing that he wanted me to uh, use. And I wrote out every word that I was going to say to those kids that Sunday. Lord, pl- I said, good morning. Wait for a response. Not again. Good morning. And in my head, I'm playing it. How are you guys doing today? Wait for a response. This morning we were, and I just wrote everything out and I was so nervous. I was shaking. I told my wife, I can't do it. I can't do it. She's like, don't worry, I'm going to help you. And I prayed in earnest like you. I hadn't prayed like that ever in my life. I'm like, oh God, I'm weighing over my head. 
Lord, you're going to have to show up in like one of those out-of-body experiences and you put the words in my mouth like I can't do it. I feel like I can't do it, but I feel like I got to. There's no getting out of it. And I'll be honest, I was driving to church that Sunday and I thought maybe I could just, mm, little, it'd be safe if I hit that ditch just a little bit, wouldn't hit nothing bad, but sorry, I can't make it. I was in a you know, little thing and, and I was really like, maybe I could get sick, like something. I was trying to get out of it with everything I had and I showed up that morning and I said, good morning, class. And they're like, good morning. I was like, I was disappointed. I said, did I show up at the retirement home or a kid's class? Like, y'all are lame. I said, good morning. And like, good morning. I'm like, yeah, I like it. And I don't know what happened, but God took over my body just as I prayed. I didn't even look at my notes and it just started coming out. And I was teaching and to a point where it was like I was looking down at myself going, whoa, what is that? And I look over at her and her eyes are about this big, like, I don't know what had happened. But God revealed to me and, and I was so worried. This is kind of funny looking back, but I was worried that I didn't have enough to say that I was going to run out of time and it'd be an awkward silence with me and these kids. Now that I'm a pastor, I realize that really, you know, we still have that worry every now and then, but it don't ever happen. Um, but God used me in a way that I never, ever dreamed. I couldn't imagine it in a million years. You know, and, and I just did it that one week. And then the kids started asking, you know, when is he coming back to help? And blah, blah, blah. We get years down the road and I eventually, the guy says, I'm taking a summer sabbatical. I was like, I didn't know what a sabbatical was, to be completely honest. I was like, what is that? And he's like, I'm taking three months to decide whether, you know, what God has for me in the next season. Can you step in? And I was like, sure. And three months later, I'm like, when's he coming back? <laughs> it already set in. And so the church, the leadership gathered me around. They said, we voted unanimously that we believe you're supposed to be our children's pastor. And once again, I'm like, y'all real funny. At this point, I had a video editing job in Nashville making some decent money, you know, for a sissy musician guy. Like I sat behind a computer. I loved it. I watched TV and worked on a computer and edited music videos. I was like in my element. I loved it. And I'm like, I don't think so. And went home and I told my wife, I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I feel like I might be supposed to do this. And she said, really, Mike? Like she said, yeah, we all know it. When are you going to wake up and realize it? And finally, I realized that's what God did. And so I stayed at this church for a long time. Um, I'm so far off my notes. I'm probably just going to ditch him and, and we'll go. We'll get there in a minute. Um, what happened? I worked there for like 10 years. Our ministry, like she said, 70 percent of the people didn't go to church. What did that look like? We would start our services with a song people would hear on the radio. Not a, a worship service. Church people thought we were crazy. I mean, I was at the church answering the calls. To me, it's what I knew. They'd be like, why did other churches would call us? Like, I heard what you're doing over there. Why were you doing it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, hold on a second. Can somebody else answer this guy's question? And finally, I realized, wait a minute. What we are doing is radical, but it shouldn't be. You know, the way Jesus taught was in parables. You know, like I shared earlier, when he used scripture, it was to challenge the Pharisees or to teach his disciples, and also when the enemy was after him. And so uh, we learned that, you know, whatever the enemy created, we can in turn use that for the glory of God. And we realized that people that didn't know Jesus, like myself, were not ready to come in and sing for 20 minutes with my hands raised about how much I love him. 
because I didn't even know him. So our service would start and we would frame it up to look at the world as we call it, as it really is, warts and all. Like, because part of the problem with unbelievers is they think, like, y'all are so, y'all got it cleaned up and shined up. It's like veneer, you know, like Facebook is faux book. Like, you know, it's just not the real thing. You put the highlight reel out there and hide all the behind the scenes. And that's what we do as Christians. We like, and they think they really can't deal with me. Like they don't, I, I, I've been sober for so long. And, and last night I went out and did two lines of cocaine and, and drank some beers and I feel awful. The last place they feel like they're welcome is a church on Sunday morning. And we wanted to create a place where they felt welcome, that we could look at life as it really is. And it got scary and it's muddy water. I'm not saying we, uh, we um, compromise our integrity or what scripture says, you know, but we're going to look at the world as it really is and examine it. And then in contrast, what God says about it. And we would look at an honest look at scripture, share that. And we would close with an inspirational song, whether it was a worship song in some cases. In some cases, it would be a song, you know, a Carrie Underwood song that, made, that, that tied in with the message that we were using. But we found that was a valuable evangelism tool for people that they would hear, uh, hear that song at their work. And they're like, oh, we, we played that song in church last Sunday. And they're like, what kind of church do you go to? Like, oh, really? How did that work? And it really started to open the doors. Now, where we, where we dropped the ball a little bit is in the disciple making, to be honest. Our church grew very fast and we had a lot of spiritual babies, like people that came and they got the feel good, but they did not go deeper. Like me, I was hungry. I'm one of the, I've got a very you know, addictive personality almost where I was just, I wanted to learn as much as I could, but we had some people come get, you know, check it off their box and, and go on living like they wanted to and come back Sunday because it felt good. And it started to disturb my spirit a little bit, to be honest. I started to feel that holy discontent again. And God eventually moved me out of that church. And then I went to a church that was kind of a nice blend of the both, but it was like 7,000 members. And it was more like crowd control. Like we were bringing people in and from the outside it looked great, but inside I'm going, what are we doing to connect people? It's just like we're getting them in and it's, but I feel overwhelmed. I feel like a manager, not a pastor. You know, I was over the middle school, I mean the elementary experience at that church. And then I stayed there for a couple of years. And then this church at the time was called Bluegrass Baptist. Now, Hence, I'm a wild rock and roller, a little bit out of a little nuts, as you can see that if you've been know me for five minutes or more. But I love Jesus. And um, I was at a church called God Why. I was at a 7,000 member mega church who we did secular songs every now and then, but it was one of the real hipster. Like I felt out of place. I felt very uncool at my church, to uh, be honest. Like it was all millennials you know, the majority. And I felt really old and out of place. And I thought, oh, this is good, but I just don't feel right. You know, it doesn't, something didn't click. And then here comes a, a church called Bluegrass Baptist. And I thought, they got, so who gave them my name? They're crazy. And they're like, you know, I mean, does it sound any more Southern? Bluegrass Baptist. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's me. I'm not knocking it. But to me, I just thought, I think I'm not a good fit. And I told them that. So politely decline your offer. I appreciate it. I'm at a church with like a lot of people. I'm really, you know, as far as career goes, it looked good on the outside, but I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't seeing, I, I like to know people. 
I'm a pastor. I have a pastor's heart. I want to be relational and know the people that I'm working with. And it was real hard in that environment. And they called again after I told them no once. And they called again the third time. And I began to go, God, what are you doing? Like, can you just tell them I'm not really interested and good, you know? And then when they came to me again, I finally put my hands down and go, okay, God, I realize it's you want me here. Thus saith the Lord, so yes, saith the Josh. I'm, I'm in. And my pastor said, like I said earlier, he said, look at it for what it could be, not for what it is. Um, and I say all that and to say this. I believe God has gifted me. At times it didn't seem like a gift, but it was with a bunch of different experiences in life. You know, I, I know what it's like to be an unbeliever, to be somebody that goes, ain't a chance. Y'all don't get me and, and I, I don't get it to be in a big, huge, successful church, to be in, now I found myself in a very small church of about 150 people when I first got there. And growing, and, and the average age was probably 65. And I have a lot of different experiences, but I, I, that's what I believe I can help, you know, this church reach <laughs> younger people. And if we want to look at a ministry model that strengthens people's faith and welcomes unbelievers, I think we need to look no further than Jesus' ministry himself. I mean, when in doubt, consult Jesus. No matter what the situation is, you know, and when we look at ministry, I want to go, okay, how did Jesus do it? Like, really, how did he do it? You know, what did it look like? What was his strategy? You know, two services, contemporary tradition. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but when I look at it, good thing, his ministry is well-documented. And we have a lot to pull from to see how Jesus did ministry. You know, how did it start? That's one of the things when I first came to know the Lord, I appreciated. He chose oh, a wedding party, turning water into wine to let them <laughs> reveal to everybody who he was. I thought, I check, I can get that. I can get with that because at the time, you know, life change doesn't happen overnight, y'all. It's a journey for people. We expect people to behave before they believe. And we got to get that switched around where people can belong before they believe or behave, you know, and I was kind of there, but I realized, you know what? He, that's how he chose to reveal himself. I think we can learn a little something. He's in to the celebration a little bit. And I'm not saying you should get drunk or any, I'm not, please don't mishear me on that. But that's where his ministry really started. It's where he revealed himself in his adult life that he was who he was. That was the first miracle. And then did a few other things. And then we get to the draft. And it's like, man, like Jesus hired the, the front office of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> Sorry for any of my, nobody's from Cleveland here, are they? If so, I apologize, my, my friend. I'm so sorry. That wouldn't cut a little too close. Look, I apologize. Let's hug it out. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right. Now, but for real, here's the draft. God says, I'm sending you to earth, son. You're going to change the world. You got one shot at sending my message. And this is who he goes with. Some fishermen. I mean, it's a noble occupation. Nothing wrong with it. But not necessarily the brightest and best of the bunch. A tax collector who's known for skimming off the top. Not only does he take everybody's money that they owe, which is hard. I mean, can I get an amen? 
goodness gracious, you pay the IRS, and you're like, oh, can you imagine if he goes, okay, now you pay me, give me a little something extra. <laughs> and so he's got him a tax collector, some fishermen, then he gets a, a zealot, I mean, who they like to overthrow governments and create anarchy. And I mean, he eventually, Simon eventually turned his zealousness over to Jesus, but at the time it really wasn't. And then he got a thief. Yeah, because if you're wanting to change the world, you got to have somebody that's willing to steal from you. Uh, Judas, uh, you know, he served as the treasurer in the band. But in John 12, 4 through 6, it actually identifies him as a thief and an embezzler. It says, then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And scripture, this is not like a, a, a study version. This is actually in scripture. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and we would steal part of it that was put in it. I mean, to be honest, it sounds like Jesus is drafting for Tony Soprano at the particular moment. Like, I'm going to get the baddest, meanest dudes. Like, nobody's going to want to mess with us. I got the crazy zealot who won't even look in that, staring in the forehead. You know, ah! Like, he's not even looking at me and he's scaring me. Like, he's getting all these people that you would never do it. I mean, would we pick our ministry teams like that? To be honest, no. But Jesus did. You know, I'm so thankful for a pastor who picked his ministry team like that. Because there ain't a church on the planet that would even give me a second look. But he looked at me and he said, I see fruit. I see a young man who is hungry for Jesus, who is crazy, but he, he's a little zealous. But I, I believe that, that God has a, a plan for that and can use this. He got Jesus' ministry. I want to challenge you to look beyond just resumes. Look for people in your church that God has made. I mean, he wants to build it from within. I think a lot of times we want to go out and hire somebody with the most impressive resume. But I think we need to give people a chance. You know, that's one of the things that I take away from that. And why? Because Jesus saw things in them that they didn't see in themselves. Do you think those fishermen were out catching fish saying, you know what? I wish we would just get drafted to change the world. No. They would have said, wouldn't it be funny if somebody did that? Us? No. I mean, but like I said, he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. When it comes to reaching Christian, I mean, when it comes to reaching people for Christ, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. You know, we end up looking like a Pharisee. When Jesus actually called Matthew, the tax collector, it was a party, a well-documented party in Scripture full of sinners and all kinds of stuff. And Jesus was right in the middle of it. And Matthew says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. He didn't ask. Hey, I got a proposition for you. You know, I like to recruit like Jesus in my ministry. I don't ask people, are you, are, would you like to serve with kids or students? Or would you like to, hey, come on. I think, I think you'd be great. Let's go. Come follow me. And, you know, most of the time they're like, what am I, oh, okay. You know, and, but that's the way Jesus recruited. He says, follow me. He told him and Matthew got up and followed him. There must have been something magnetic. There must have been that draw. 
Jesus must have connected with him on a heart level. Because if somebody tells me to leave my job and come follow him, I better be believing in that dude I'm following. I know that he's got my back, that he believes in me. Now, Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, that, that's, a, that's a party. Most of the time, you know, it was, let me just go on. When the Pharisees saw this, yeah, I just got to stop right there. My wife's going, thank you, Jesus. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In other words, what they were saying, really saying, is I wouldn't be caught dead with those people. Why in the world is he hanging out with them? I wouldn't even be caught dead with them. You know, that's going to ruin his reputation. He's a son of God. He needs to be hanging out with us. Just hang out with those people. And upon hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but I call sinners. He calls sinners. I, I know this. I'm the biggest one of them all. You know, I've got to skip here. Sorry. I lost my place in my notes. But no, there's no, 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 none of that. Um, you know, when he did that, it really caused people to think, you know, we need to be more, at least for me, when I look at Jesus' ministry, sometimes in our church circles, we can do that, can't we? I can't believe, did you see her Facebook post? Who was she was doing on Friday night? I'm sure they were doing all this or whatever, you know, and we judge. Let's just be real. We do like we want to act like, you know, yeah, I've got sin, but I ain't as messed up as that person, you know, and that's the way we operate. You know, I was in a breakout session last week with I was at the Right Now Media Conference in Dallas, and there was this uh, speaker who was so dynamic. His name is Dr. Conway Edwards, and he was going, man. He was like in it and everybody is shouting this dude down and amen and I'm in the middle of it first I'm like what is going on here you know it was real going for it. and I'm like next thing I know I'm like preaching yes and then all of a sudden he just dropped this truth bomb he goes are you hanging out with anybody who cusses like on a regular basis he looked and pointed at me and I'm like there's other people in the room man and he's like no do you hang out with people who cuss he's like we don't need to be God didn't call us to be in holy huddles if you're truly a disciple or follower of Christ, if you're walking it like you're supposed to be walking, if you're in the word, if you're spending time in prayer and you are in that vine like you're supposed to and have all that fruit, it shouldn't bother you to go where people don't know him. And we can't expect people that don't know him to act like they do. So often we do. Now, I'm not saying we compromise our character or cause people to stumble, but it challenged me. And as a writer, there's an old friend of mine that always posts, you know, having a writer's night on Tuesday night, open mic, anybody come out? And I'm always like, yeah, I don't need to be messing with that. But after I heard Dr. Conway Edwards thing, I went Tuesday night. My wife was like, I see writer's night on our calendar. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm going out to see so-and-so. I'm going to play the writer's night. It's like, okay. And I said, I was challenged last week. I like, I really need to get out. And this place, it's not, it wasn't at a church. <laughs> it's a writer's night. It was at a club. 
And I went in and I met my friend and talked with him. And I, I go up to have a beer at the bar. No, not, I, I realize people there are struggling with that. I'm not going to cause anybody to stumble. But I made some great connections, had some great conversations with people. Didn't tell them I was a pastor. Just loved, listened. You know, and, and I told Jeff specifically, I said, do not introduce me as a pastor when I get up here to play, please. Just, just Josh. It'll be, that'll suffice just fine. And I thought, you know what? That's a mission field because I had a guy open up to me. And, and I prayed, you know, that transition prayer in the parking lot, Lord, and I admit, I said, God, please don't let nobody from my church see my truck out here and wonder what the heck is going on. <laughs> Real talk. Because <laughs> like I said, I'm in an older church and I don't want to have all that explaining to do. Just let me work un- undercover, God, for a little while. But it was awesome, you know. And, and with that, I realized, you know, there's a lot of good that we can do by going and making disciples. Jesus said we are to be in the world, not of it, but so often we're not even in it. We, we are like in our bubble. Like we hang out with just Christian friends. We go to church. We don't even, only time we see other Christians, like at school plays or at games and the other ones, they always act crazy. And we're like, I don't want to even do that. But we're supposed to be salt and light. People are supposed to be drawn to us, not pushed away from us. Um, you know, one of the things in my other church, our kids ministry wasn't a secret targeted kids ministry. We did praise and worship. We taught kids. And that was part of my issue when I wound up not, I didn't leave on terrible terms or anything, but I started to realize our kids are discipling our parents in some cases. Because the grown-ups that were coming to that church were coming with a lot of baggage and hang-ups. And the kids, they were wide open to truth. And there was a young man who came um, to church one Sunday. And this kid, I had a class, my classes at that point were first through fifth grade. Fifth grade boy, earring, the whole nine yards, long hair. He looked just like me. I was like, I like this kid already. When I was a kid, I was like, dude, you look like Tom Petty. Do you realize that? He had that blonde hair and he had his jean jacket and everything. He's like, who's that? It's like, oh. Well, your parents didn't raise you right, but that's okay. Let's talk. And so anyway, started talking with this guy and we had camp coming up and he's like, I can't afford to go to camp. I was like, you can't afford not to, man. We're going to make sure you get to camp and go to camp. And we take him to kids camp and we start praising worship on the first night. And I love kids camp. It's one of my favorite things in the whole wide world or student camp. Anytime you can get somebody away for a, a days of unhurried time where they can truly just let down the guard and be them and not just come in for an hour, you know, we, we get that chance. And we started into praise and worship and our youth pastor was with us at camp and he's, our praise and youth, our youth pastor was, he's a passionate man. He's crying and raising his hands, praise and worship and Austin's sitting next to him and he looks over and says, dude, are you crying? And, and, and Mark was like, yeah, man, it's so powerful. And he's like, and he looks like he's crying. The grown man crying over here. Anyway, so we just do life, minister to Austin. And then the last night of camp hits, you know, when we have our altar call, we're raising. I look over. There's Austin. Heads raised. Tears flowing. He's crying, crying out to the Lord. I invited those who didn't know Jesus that wanted to know him and begin that journey. He came down. 
He hugged me. He goes, can't believe I'm crying. <laughs> you know, I said, it's okay, man. I said, it's all good. So anyway, I come to, we got done with camp, came the next week. Austin comes in with this gentleman, had, his, had him on his arm, brings him into my class. He said, Pastor Josh, I want you to meet my dad. And I was like, oh, wow. I was like, it's nice to meet you. You know, I'm, I'm the biggest fan of your son, dude. Uh, you, you've got a great young man. And I'm talking to him and he goes, and dad's got tears in his eyes. He said, I can't thank you enough for what this church has done for my son. He says, I'm currently serving two years. And I get a weekend a month out. And Austin insisted that I come to church. If that doesn't get your motor running and make you realize you need to reach lost people, you need to check your pulse. Because I was like, oh my goodness gracious, here's this young man who turned into discipling his dad. From prison. It doesn't look pretty. Real ministry is messy. It's not supposed to be clean. We're all not supposed to look alike and act alike. None of us have it all together. Let's quit pretending like we do. And just love people. Because we're all God's children. Sorry, I'm going to start preaching again. Um, uh, when I got to my church, like I said, when I got to this new church that I'm currently at now, I got hired as a children's minister. And I thought, oh, oh, this is, this is going to be great. I love kids' ministry. This is going to be fun. It's a blank canvas. They need to be rebranded, new facility, like all this stuff. It's a great big building, but not a big church, if that makes sense. They'd become like the guys fighting in the boat. They weren't fishing anymore. They were just sitting in the boat arguing with each other. And we got to get back to fishing. And so we were doing that. And... I miraculously grew that kids ministry from 30 kids to 20 in a matter of what felt like weeks. <laughs> and I looked around, <laughs> I was like, and, I'm, and I started asking, well, where did so-and-so? Oh, they were tired. They like had to go. They, they were tired. They were done. They, they, you got here and they checked out because they'd been doing it for so long. They'd just been burnt. And as if it couldn't get any worse, our student pastor quit. I was like, like two months after I was there and I'm going, what is wrong with me? Like, did I do anything? And he, he had moved on. It was a great thing for him and his family. And at that point, I got promoted to family pastor because they were like, you know, hey, we're not sure if we have enough money. But I actually went to my pastor. I said, you know, I think this is the best thing that could possibly happen. Right now, it feels like the worst day in the world. But I've been walking with God long enough to realize sometimes the worst day of your life can also be the best day of your life. And I said, we have an opportunity here. So we, we can bring everybody under one umbrella. We can truly do generational discipleship. We can truly do family ministry because the only people we're going to make mad are the 50 people we have left here, it feels like. You know, let's, let's go for it. Let's go all in. So we're going to have to change some things. And, you know, we tore down the silos. We walked our church through, you know, some people didn't want to change. Everybody likes change except, you know, when you initiate the change. But when somebody else comes up and tells you, you're going to have to change. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know who you think you are, but I'm all good. And our church had quite a few golden calves that we had created for ourselves. And, and I, coming from my background, I said, I was just so passionate. I said, we got to do things different. 
If you want something that you've never had here at this place, you have to be willing to do something that you've never done. And, and uh, if, if you want something, you know, what I told him, I said, you have to be willing to give up something you love for something that you love more. I said, do you love the thought of families and children and students and people finding the Lord that didn't know him coming to this place every week to learn about Jesus? Or are you more passionate about that, you know, having your Sunday school class meet at 930 on the dot in room 214 till the Lord comes back? And it was really tough. It wasn't easy. One of the best things that happened for us was a, a book uh, called The Autopsy of a Deceased Church. It's a real riveting, uplifting title, I know. <laughs> you should have seen me try to present that to them. I got an idea. We're going to read Autopsy of a Deceased Church. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't real friendly. But you know what? I was, I was in it. I realized, you know what? Pruning sometimes is painful. You know, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Sparks fly, gets a little heated, a little tough, but I was willing to, to do it because, why? Because it's worth it. I think the church needs to find their why, as Simon Sinek would say. We got to lead with why, not just what we do, but why we do it. And that's what I was um, uh, going at. Now, Tom Rainer is the one that produced this book, which good. It was only like a 12-page book, which really goes well with my, uh, yeah, I'm a, a youth pastor at heart. I listen to books. Uh, every time I try to read at night, I just wind up going to sleep or on the plane, I get sick. I just listen to books. Every time I'm in the car, all the way, I, I can get through two books a week sometimes in my time in the car. It's awesome. And people think that I'm smart because I just tell people I read the book. And well, I listen to a book today. I'm like, oh yeah, I read that. I listened to it, but it doesn't matter. I got the information. But the change wasn't easy. And I realized that big ships turn slowly. You know, and after walking them through the book, they realized we have two choices. We're, there cha we're going to change as a church or we're going to die. Like it went through the stages. I'm like, what stage do you think we're in? Most of them hovered around three or four. There were a couple that were just blinded by the light, wrapped up like a deuce, another runner in the night. Like, we're healthy. We're one. It's all good in my world. I love it. And I'm like, is she okay? But most of the church got on board. And when we pitched the idea of family minister, ministry, I had to encourage our more seasoned members that they were included, you know, and they got on board. We started to have block parties. You know, we went, you know, started to serve our community again, started fishing. We created a, a after school program for kids to come and get homework help. And, and we realized that although we're in somewhat of a fluent community, there is still a lot of poverty involved and, and, and that we harnessed our church's desire to serve others. You know, they said they wanted to. I'm like, well, now we're going to see if it'll really happen. And we got people doing this backpack program and we started all these things and it became, they became, they were serving with joy. Joy came back in the church. Not Joey, Joey. Uh, came back in our church and it was awesome. They became, it's so awesome. I, I had, we had a, a block party with a slide and all of a sudden somebody said, Mr. Bray's going to go down the slide. And it wasn't just a little slide. It was this giant inflatable slide. And here he's up there. It was a water slide. He's got on his dockers and his pants rolled up to about here. And this dude is frail. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious, please don't get hurt. And everybody's like, Bray, Bray, Bray. They're all cheering his name and everything. And I'm super concerned at this point. He was like 84. Yeah. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm, there, I've seen way too many YouTube videos of this situation in them bad to just I'm, I'm praying to the Lord. Just let him not get hurt like this is. And all the kids are just agging him on. And I'm like, oh, goodness gracious. And here he comes. He jumped his slid, got wet and the crowd cheered. And I just looked at my wife. I said, look at our church. I said, can you believe this? I said, I don't even care if it was a political move. So he gets back on the deacon board or whatever. I'm all happy for him. Oh, did that come out? But the truth is they were serving with joy. It was uh, we had our trunk or treat this past week and we had a lot of them say, well, it's too cold. I can't go outside. I said, you can serve at every single door we have in the church. We need you to be the the first face they see when they come in here to welcome them. Well, I can do that. I'm like, I'll put you a comfortable chair. You just point people to the bathroom, tell them hello. One's like, I wish I could go, but my wife can't walk real good. I said, y'all can just sit there. It's all good. Well, he went. I'm not kidding. (laughs) He ditched his wife. Like they served for a little while, but there was too much action going on outside. He just had to go be a part of it. And it was so it warmed my heart because he was one of the ones when I first got there said, can you just wait to change that till I die? I mean, they really said that. I, it's 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 sad. And, I, and I, I had the same like, oh, really? Like you, that's the hill you dying on, like literally dying on. And and I said, you know, it, it, it just was a wild thing because he was me and him. Sparks were flying. Now he's my biggest champion. I love that man. And he took his wife home halfway throughout the event, came back, and he was in every kid's face with his flip phone taking pictures he could. He couldn't believe that many kids at our church. It's what he'd been dreaming about, what he'd been praying for. Now, did it look a little creepy to the outsiders? Yes. (laughs) Did I stop him? No. I'm like, you know what? You go, boy. I'm so happy that you're happy that our church is finally realizing what it means to serve our community, to, to welcome those that don't believe. There was a guy, family came in. This dude had crazy makeup and all this stuff. I'm like, you're a juggalo. I'm like, insane clown posse, right? And the pastor looked at me like, how in the world do you know what that is? I'm like, I just do. And he's like, how did you know that? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm Josh. I'm the family pastor. And he's looking at me like, you're the one of the pastors and you know about ICP? I'm like, yeah. And he was like, maybe I could come to this place. You know, I don't, I tell our staff this, I don't want to focus on church growth. You know, numbers are a big deal. God has a whole book titled Numbers. I get it. It's a big deal to him. (laughs) But I don't want to focus on just numbers because I think sometimes, especially as pastors, we focus too much on the numbers. That's the thing we talk about when we get in groups. You know, you go to those luncheons or whatever. How many are you running? You know, and you're just, and you, what I like to call, pasteurize the numbers just a bit. <laughs> oh, did I say that? It's true. We just, we, we, a little more. We may fudge on, we err on the side of ambition, and that's all right. <laughs> but I've never said that before in my life, but I think I might have to remember that one. <laughs> My ambition writes a check that my body, physical self cannot cash sometimes. Um, But I believe if we focus on church health, if we put our focus on church health, as, as Jesus taught about being in the vine and connected with him, if we focus on church health, growth is a natural byproduct. Growth will come. Growth will happen if you just try to remain healthy and remain 
it's true to the call what we're supposed to do. Jesus said, you know, in the parable of the lost sheep, he says, I'm leaving the 99 to go after the one every time. So often we want to just keep, we're happy with our 99. That last one's not going to be saved anyway. That dude's so far off the rail, bless him. Oh, just pray for him. It's the gossip prayer. But we do it. But the truth is we've got to repent and be transformed as a body. As the church, not a church, as the church. By the renewing of our minds and sometimes the way that we do things. Technology and the world has changed so much. It like Since I graduated high school way back in 94, I was like the last generation that didn't have cell phones or camera phones. Thank you, Jesus. Because if, I would have, if YouTube would have been around right now, I probably would not be standing here. He's a good guy, loves Jesus. But have you seen the YouTube videos? <laughs> like, luckily that didn't happen. But the truth is, so much has changed over the past 20 years with the advent of technology. But sadly enough, when we look at the way we do church, some of us are stuck in 1980s, 1990s, and we don't change. Now, I'm not saying the message needs to change or the content of Scripture. God's Word is never changing. He doesn't change. But the way that we present it, sometimes we have confused preference with principle. And I think sometimes we have allowed our preference to take precedent over the principle of what we're called to be as Christians and what we're called to do as a church. And I want us to not be afraid to try something different. You know, I was sharing with a guy earlier who's talking about music and I'm a music guy. But one thing that drives me a little crazy about us and I'm, I'm talking about us, we're all in this thing together. Sorry, when you signed up to be a Christian, you put yourself in a boat with some crazy people. But we're all in this thing together, as they say in high school musical. But God is the ultimate creator. He created it all. Everything. There is no limits to his creativity and what he is able to do. And he created us in his image. Jesus said, what I did, you can do even better. But sadly enough, when it comes to creativity in the church or in the arts or whatever it may be, a lot of times Christians just chase trends. And we try to just emulate what the world is doing or copycat. Oh, that was big for so-and-so. We should do the same thing. We should be leading the forefront of creativity. We should be out ahead of the world when it comes to creativity, music and, and movies and everything else. We should dominate that. And, and, I, and it, I know that's a passion of mine. And it may not hit everybody, but I really think there's nothing wrong with being a little creative and, and stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit. We, we so often don't want to rub anybody else the wrong way and we become people pleasers. But you can't lead that way. If you're a leader, you're supposed to go out front. You give them the why, they need to come with you. And the truth is the state of our churches right now, in many, in many cases, the house is falling apart. It's on fire in some cases. Like it's kids and, and youth and our uh, generation is going. You know, we're blessed enough to live in a, in a time where these millennials, they are they're the most cause-driven people group that has come along in a long time. But sadly, they're not connecting with the most cause-oriented organization or organism as the church should be. A church should be not an organization, but an organism, a living, breathing thing that continues to grow and change a little bit. 
You know, we need to connect with them. Second Chronicles 7.14 says this. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to... I want to apologize, but not apologize. I know this may be hard for some people to hear. And believe me, I'm not judging. Every church should not go change everything and and look all like they were reaching youth. Every church is not supposed to look the same, just like we're not supposed to look the same. God's called each individual body for a specific purpose. But if if you don't know what your purpose is, or you don't know what your why is, or you realize, you know, something's just not right, I want to encourage you with this scripture. If my people, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not, not the lady in the hallway that's going to listen to your gripes. Pray and seek his face. Not, don't talk about it with each other. We do that too much. We need to seek him. He says, they will humble themselves. Say, I don't, I don't have it all the answers. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, a lot of times we point fingers at millennials. We just do. We're like, you know, they... They're just entitled. They want everything given to them and they don't want to work for it. Yes, there may be some truth to that. Participation trophy. Everybody gets a participation trophy. But the truth is, we're the ones that gave them the participation trophies. You know, um, that's the truth. We raise them, tell them they're all special, they're unique. If you work in kids' ministry, Cam, you probably get an amen on this one. But Susie's in second grade, but she needs to be in the fourth grade class because she's advanced. You know, (laughs) Everybody's kid is special and gifted. But I want us to be able to extend a hand of grace. I mean, if you're, if you're looking for a young adult to act completely responsible, you're looking for a unicorn. <laughs> they're not going to... We can't expect people to, to behave in a way that they're not quite there yet. You know? We have to come alongside them and disciple them. Show them how it goes. Don't just be the police and throwing out tickets and telling them everything that they're done. Wrong. Excuse me. Do wrong. You know, I'm, nobody likes that. It's like you get a ticket. Sometimes I parent that way and I try to fight against it. I want to be a coach. I mean, because really, we, I get nervous around the police. Even though I've been living right for a long time, I just keep thinking that one or two things that I'm never going to share with y'all that might come back and get me. <laughs> Thank God there wasn't YouTube. But the truth is, when we give, get them into church, they're not seeking the lights and the smoke and mirrors. We're fortunate enough that they're just wanting truth. They're wanting authenticity. They're wanting community. They're wanting a purpose. This generation wants a purpose. And we got to help them in that purpose. So often we're like, we get a millennial and they're like, I want to serve in the church. Good, you can hand out bulletins. Thank you very much. And that's it. They're like, this is not what I signed up for. Like... Not that handing out bulletins, we got to have greeters, but we need to give them the why. You're not just handing out bulletins. You are the face that could be the, the first person they see and they remember that they walked into this place and God had an experience with them and their life would change because you made them feel welcome. You told them where the coffee was at or the bathroom was when you really had to go real bad. But why did I say that? <laughs> but I believe 
the solution relies in fostering authentic relationships and taking the time to connect and invest in them. You know, I'm seeing glimpses of that fruit in our church from our students that were high school students that are serving the kids. And then our college students are coming back and serving in the high school ministry. We're experiencing healing at my church, people re-engaging its purpose and people finding their purpose at 75 years old, becoming more alive in Christ. You know, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found at 75 years old and they would have checked the Christian box on every application you would have given for their whole life. But now they're living with a new sense of purpose because they're able to help disciple. You know, I was sharing with my friend right here, um, we were trying to hook up for breakfast tomorrow and I was like, oh yeah, Saturday I'm good. And I, I realized, wait a minute, no, I'm not good because my small group has adopted a, a family. Like our, our small groups of younger people, I'm throwing myself in that box again. <laughs> our younger people kind of adopt or we partner with an older member of the congregation. And, and what's cool is we help them once every so often. We call it Family United. Is what we call our church. Everybody comes together to serve one another. Now, we're going to go tomorrow morning from 9 to noon to pull weeds, to trim hedges, to clean gutters, to do all the stuff these people can't do for themselves and, and help them out with any stuff they need around the house. And it's awesome. But what's cool for our younger families is mom and daddy need a babysitter every now and then. That's who they go to because these people may not be able to care for children all the time, but it's safe for a few hours to go grab dinner and a movie. And they, they find worth. We all want to be worthy. We're trying to be like Jesus and see things in them that they don't see in themselves right now. You're meant for more than just sitting in the Sunday school class. The Sunday school class is good, but let's get out and do something else. Let's impact this next generation. As uh, one of the guys was sharing, we've got to replicate. If you're... Disciples aren't making disciples. You're really not making disciples. We've got to be replicating that over and over and over. Now, have we arrived as, as a church? Not close. I don't want you to think it is all butterflies and moonbeams at our church. It's not. But we're getting there. And the journey, it's so wild. This journey is the most rewarding ministry experience that I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of some exciting stuff, but I really truly believe we're starting to find um, some profound divine truth and wisdom in the way that we're discovering our, our little unique church that ranges from birth to 89, 92 years old, all working together. It's a beautiful thing. And, and we are more united than we've ever been. And, and it's, I believe right now, just with the success of, of this particular conference and what's going on, you know, uh, that we are on the precipice of a, the greatest moment in disciple making that our church in general, all of our churches have experienced in a long time. Because if we can be real for a second, a lot of times we have a, a new fad that comes along every five years or so that we go chase. It's all about small groups. It's all about this. It's all about that. And, you know, we wave that flag for a little while and then somebody else writes a new book and comes along and rocks your world. And, whoa, we're all about this. But right now, it's coming back to discipleship. This is something we can't afford to mess up because this is the Great Commission. 
You know, this is, this is what Jesus told us we're supposed to do. Finally, the fad or whatever's going on is aligned with his will as a church. And it has ne- not come at a, a more needed time in the history of our world. Um, you know, I know this generation and these people that don't believe, they don't need the smoke and lights, but what they do need is the real Jesus. <clears throat> Even if they don't know it yet. Even if they don't know it yet. And it's up to you and me to give them what they want. And I believe that they want Jesus. I believe we want them to want Jesus. And it's up to us to help give it to them. Let's pray. God, I thank you so very much um, that you allow us to endure challenges in our life. God, you told us that we're to count it as joy. When we're in the midst of it, it's hard to count it as joy, God. But looking back... um, God, I see that, at least in my life, it was joy. It was teaching me. God, I pray that we would use um, every gift that you have given us. God, that we would not just stand on the precipice, but we would march boldly. God, that we would uh, have that passion reignited. God, that you would give us your vision and your wisdom, that that we would find the why, because it's worth it. God, that you would help us to lead up, that you would continue to mold and grow and fashion the heart of godly men and women in every area of our life. God, I know none of us are perfect. We've all got a lot of sin going on in our life. God, help us to be disciplined. As leaders, God, you expect more from us. God, we've got to be out front. We've got to be spending time with you. God, we've got to be spending time dedicated into your word on, on a daily basis. God, because I pray that you would equip us, that we can go boldly and go out and make disciples so that you could build your church. God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. The message you just heard was from D6 Conference's track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Download their free church health assessment PDF at discipleship.org D6. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.